Okay. Um, we, we're in the book of Joshua, if you're joining us for the first time. Uh, the last uh, three weeks, I've been speaking about different aspects about the story of our personal Jerichos. For week number one was quite simple. It was about really, if you stare at the mountain, it's as if the mountain gets bigger. You stare at the maker, then what happens is that the mountain starts to shrink. In fact, Jesus said himself, speak to the mountain if you've got enough faith and it will go and throw itself into the ocean. And so we understand that there is this sense that our problems, our difficulties, sometimes what we've got to be willing to do is look at these problems, look at these difficulties, get up every morning and we want to see the greatness of God, not the greatness of the problem that you are facing in your life. And whatever that problem is, God is greater. God is able. If God can redeem humanity through Christ on the cross, he can help you with your problems and your difficulties. In fact, he wants to help you. He wants to break into your world. He wants to move in your life. The following week, we talked about the whole amazing story of Rahab. She was a a woman, a prostitute, who understood that even though she was who she was, she could engage in the promises of God, the promises of Abraham. She got into the promise, she stepped into the plan, and as she stepped into the plan, she was willing to be obedient, she was willing to trust God, she was willing to put fear aside, and she was willing to declare that she wanted to serve the purposes of God in her life. But the key to the bridge was obedience. And often in our lives, it's to trust God and be obedient to him. We've got to be willing to step into that. And the third week, we spoke about the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence and the power and the glory of God traveled with the ancient people. The box, about the same size, if you like, the Ark as our communion table that is there. It carried the glory of the Lord. It carried the Ten Commandments. It carried uh, the rod of Aaron. It carried the manna from the wilderness that was kept fresh. Because when you have the presence of God, you are always kept fresh. Do you know that? In your life, if you've got the working of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will be kept fresh. It will keep your life fresh because that, uh, the living relationship with Christ is not something that happened to you in history. The relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is something that is live and vibrant right now, right today, this morning. He wants to be with you. And that's how you keep fresh. And then we looked at the whole idea that, you know, holiness is not something to be afraid of. But the, but the more we become wholesome, wholeness, suddenly we become holy. See, we battle with holiness, trying to be good, trying to be good, trying to be good. But I want to suggest to you that if you deal with wholeness, that brings holiness. Why does that happen? Because when you deal with your junk and you get rid of the damage, you're willing to confess the sin, you're willing to deal with the lies, you're willing to deal with the root of those lies, you're willing to deal with all of that that is happening within your own own life. Wholeness comes and holiness becomes easy. Holiness is hard when you don't have wholeness of Christ. You see, when he heals me of a root, 
of jealousy, suddenly I become holy because he has healed me in that, in my journey. And next uh, I want to share with you is about the power of what uh, unity can do. A culture of like-minded people. And it is incredible that the whole story is about that Joshua was able to get the whole of the nation on the same page. He was willing to get them to move in the same direction. He was willing to work towards unity and work towards that sense that they were together. They were in a battle and therefore let's, let's stick together. It was so easy for them to break down into their different tribes. It was so easy for them to become sectarian because the Dan tribe might not have liked the Judah tribe. And, and, and this tribe and that tribe. And there's this battle that can happen so easily within Christendom that we, we, we can see the danger of that. So let's read some scripture together. Familiar chapter. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, Advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward blowing their trumpets. There is a lot of trumpets going on here. And the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. And the armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets. And the rear guard followed the ark. And all this time the trumpets were... But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voice. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. I'm looking forward to that sermon. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, cycling it once. Then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. There is a lot of connection. There is an army that is marching. There are people that are gathering together. And what we are seeing is that we have priests. We have guards. We have soldiers. We have trumpets. We have the Ark of the Covenant. And all of these people are working together and moving together in unity because they are working together in unity because they are believing for a great victory. It is amazing what like-minded people can achieve. And it's amazing the difference we can make in the, in the world if we unite together and stand together in the oneness of Jesus Christ. Did you know that in America alone, there are 64,000 denominations registered? 64,000. Now that does include the kind of strange churches that you know where there's one man and his mother and a dog and, and kind of stand there and they've kind of got charitable status. But 64,000 people thinking they're right all the time and they've cornered that particular little bit of the market in God. Let me tell you something. We need each other. 
We need each other and the church needs each other because we see what is taking place in the world and we are an army that is united because God has called us to see cities fall. Not fall in the way of of this story, but fall in the way for the power and the work of the gospel to shake the very foundations of cities, the very foundations of nations. The gospel is the most powerful message in all the world. And to do this, we've got to march together. To do this, you have to step into it. To get through problems within your life, you need other people around you. So many people, so many ministries, so many churches give up too quickly. Just before victory is about to happen, in the last part of that time, we can stop praying. We can stop believing. We can stop pushing in for that relative. We can stop believing for that miracle and that breakthrough in that, in that moment when really we need to keep pushing and keep believing for the miracle that God will move. And we need other people to help us. We need each other. You see, what the enemy wants to do, he wants to isolate us. And and actually, when we're going through a problem and we're going through a difficulty and we're facing a challenge, we need people around us, the church of God, to unite, to help us to keep moving, to help us to keep believing, to help us that God will work. I remember I did a, a marathon with Michelle. She's not here this morning. She came last night and she's preparing to go to France on a mission trip with 16 of our students and and different staff members. And I did ask her permission to tell this story. I asked her permission in the middle of the sermon, Uh, but she nodded. And so I remember we were doing the Birmingham um, half marathon and I went there and I said, I'll run with you. She'd never done one before. And a friend of mine, a good friend of ours, Jason went with us and we started to run, you know, what is it? Um, 22 miles or 21 something, one kilometers. And we started running and jogging and there's about 15,000 people running in this marathon. And about mile 10, she just looked at me and she said, I'm done. I'm finished. That's it. I'm not going to go any farther. And at that moment, both of us, Jason on one side and me on the other, just said to her, I said it a little bit more gentle because I live with her. Um, (laughs) You know. So, and I, I said, no, keep going. And then Jason went, no, keep going. Don't stop. I'm like, easy. Uh, and she was like, oh, okay. And she kept on running. And she did it superbly. But you know, sometimes we, when we isolate ourselves on difficult problems, a difficult run of life, when we're having problems, to have people next to us and say, come on, keep going. You're facing that problem. You're facing that disappointment. You're facing that difficulty. We need each other. The worst thing you can do is isolate yourself because when we face problems and pains, we need the body of Christ around us to make a difference. We need the mind of Christ. Let me remind you what the mind of Christ is all about. When you read the Gospels, the mind of Christ is about his healing presence that comes and moves. The mind of Christ 
is that powerful sense that he cares for us and he feeds the needy. The mind of Christ is that he comes with a message of forgiveness and wholeness, that he takes away our mess in our lives and he brings forgiveness. The mind of Christ is that he shows grace to people and he loves people and is interested in people. The mind of Christ is that he's willing to get down and wash people's uh, feet and to serve them. The mind of Christ is that he prays for unity of the church and a revival in the world. The mind of Christ is that he brings the truth to the world in so many ways. And we can see that he heals, he feeds the hungry, he forgives sinners, he shows grace, he serves others, he prays for the believers of the world, he spent time with the outcasts, and he preached with power. And, and there is something remarkable when we set our own life on the mind of Christ. We have something in Jesus Christ that holds us all together. When you meet a Christian, I don't know if you know how many Christians there are in the world that, that actually own the name of Christ on their lips. There are two billion people in this planet that own, and they would say, that they own the name of Jesus. Two billion. That's a lot of family you've got around you. And yet what the enemy wants to do, he wants to isolate you. In your own little world. And when you're isolated, you give up. When you're isolated, you back off. You are facing problems and challenges. We face difficulties and grief and pain. We face illnesses and problems in our family life. And the worst thing you can do is isolate yourself from the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need each other because when we have each other, we see walls come tumbling down. When we have each other, we hear the trumpets blowing. We hear the soldiers shout. We hear the hymns being sung. We have the prayers of the saints being prayed. And yet so many people have sort of can isolate themselves. Have you noticed whenever you're around the world and you meet a Christian, how brilliant it is? It's like, oh, you're, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian. Instantly, you get talking, don't you? you? Talk about God, you talk about, it's so exciting. And you chat, I mean, not everywhere. Sometimes when Christians see me in, um, in Savon, they avoid me, but I'm the pastor. Um, oh, there's Pastor Phil. Okay, here I go. <laughs> you know who you are. Uh, I don't blame you. I avoid myself sometimes. Um, but, but we need each other within this journey. We need each other and we need to believe that we can. I mean, you meet a Christian, you get connected. Like, like when you meet, I don't know, Canuck supporters around the world. Okay. Um, <laughs> You meet them and you go, yes, you're a Canuck supporter. Oh, I love you. Awesome. Liverpool supporters, I love you. You're brilliant. You know, nationalities, there are certain nationalities at the moment they meet each other, they just talk. Scots do that. Everywhere in the world you meet Scottish people and Scots meet each other like, oh, you're from Scotland. And they start talking. English, we just ignore people. Too, you know, 
too weird. But there's an instant something that belongs to the body of Christ. Why? Because it's the power of the gospel and the work of the cross and the marching together that holds us together. This world needs the good news of Jesus. This world needs a united church. And yet so often in your own life, bad company can drag you down. It corrupts. And have you noticed that when you hang around people who are always moaning about their marriages, that suddenly you see where that their marriages go? Have you seen that when you hang around people that don't really have a passion for God's church, you see what starts to happen? Because negativity and the rebellion against Christ becomes infectious because our natural direction as human beings is always to go low, not to go high. But God calls us to go high. He calls us to move forward. He calls us to believe in the church of God. You know, Jesus loves the church. And often people say to me, Phil, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. And I want to say, well, do you really love Jesus then? What do you mean? Well, if Jesus gave his life for the church and loves the church, are you willing to be committed to the church? I can say as a a convert to Christianity, 15 years old from generations of non-Christian, that the church was the greatest gift in my life. And I will never abandon the church. Because the church gave me a family. The church gave me a community. The church gave me praying believers. The church gave me authentic friendships. The church showed me that within my ruined life, there is a purpose. There is a destiny. That we are an army. We are marching around a city. And we are going to see the trumpet sounded. And one day Christ will return. And he will take his church home. Take his church home. And that's when you unite together. And I know it's difficult. I know it's, it's hard. And I know Christians are confusing. But unity brings the blessing. I know that as the president of the, of the ministerial for Kelowna, that we work hard for unity, for prayer. And I remember experiencing this and and seeing this take place when I was just a young pastor I was invited to a prayer meeting with lots of other pastors and there was probably about 12 of us and we were all in this room and we were sharing how church was going they were the biggest churches in my region churches from Dudley and Wolverhampton and Stourbridge and Sedgley and these areas and we gathered together and they started to share. And I was just young. I'd, uh, I, I led the smallest church. I led this. I was, I was just like in awe of these great men. Many of them now in their 70s. And we prayed together. And they'd share how things are going. They'd say how awesome it was. How amazing. How their churches are growing. It was kind of depressing for me. And uh, oh, I'm having such a hard time. I can't even work out how to do this church. I think I'm amazed anybody turns up. And... And they started to share. Until one day we met about, I don't know, half a dozen times. One of the pastors just said, I want to be honest with you. He pastored the largest Assemblies of God church in the region. He said, the truth is, I'm competing with each of you. 
When your people come to my church, I greet them, I smile, I say, oh, pray about it. But inside I'm going, yes, yes, yes. Because I know I've got the best church. And that's what's going on. I'm not, and when they're not even my tithes, but my, my offerings go up. They don't even belong to me. I'm not the father. I'm not the shepherd. I haven't known them for decades and, and, and dedicated their children and walked with them. He said, inside of me, I am competitive. And at that moment, he broke down and started to weep. And I observed these pastors getting on their knees with all their denominational differences, all of their backgrounds, weeping and repenting for any sense of competitive spirit that existed. It was the most powerful moment. And we kept meeting. And we kept talking. It resulted in a series of all-night prayer meetings of over 3,500 people coming out to pray for our region that God would move in revival. You see, we are a united army marching around a city and God wants to bring walls down. He wants to work. And what an amazing thing. And I'm believing that for Kelowna. Believing that God will move and work in our city. Believing that God will work. And yet, we can become so isolated. In the battle, there is strength in numbers. There were 600 thousand fighting men moving together, working together, believing as they went towards the promised land. But what the enemy wants to do with every one of us is to bring resentment, to bring offense, to bring division, to bring loneliness into your life, to help make you believe the lie that you are in this alone and nobody else can help you. Why is the enemy so good at that? It's because he himself rejected God and became the loneliest being in the cosmos. He himself rebelled against the glory of the kingdom of God as we know in the narrative. And so what we have to realize is that, that, that we are sheep. And the easiest sheep to pick off is the one that goes off on its own. It's a target becomes a target. And yet we know that we have an enemy, a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Look at this, looking for someone to devour. But if you're with other Christians, if you're feeling the encouragement, if you're praying with others, if you're sticking the course, I tell you, it's harder for the lion to come and deceive us and devour us. It's harder for that. The thief comes To lie, to steal, to take from us. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is how the thief works. In your life, he'll go, you'll wake up one morning and you think, I used to love the Bible, but now I can't barely read the Bible. The thief has stolen you a passion for the Bible. I used to love going to church and worshipping, but the thief steals your passion. I used to love telling people and praying for my city, going to the prayer meeting, but I can't be bothered going to the prayer meeting now. Somehow the sneak thief comes along and steals from you in your life and from me. 
I used to be so enthusiastic, evangelistic. I used to care for children. I used to be involved. But somewhere I believed a lie, a lie that was sown, and the sneak thief comes and steals your joy, steals your devotion, steals your prayer life, steals from you, and says, now you're alone. You don't need anybody. You can sit in Starbucks, and you can just do that, and that's all you need. That's the lie of the enemy. Because God calls us, as Hebrews teach us, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. How can we consider? How can we spur each other on? How can we encourage each other? How we can say, yes. I spur you on. I encourage you. I want to spur you on. Don't be hatred. I want to spur you on to be a person of love. I want to spur you on. Husbands, spur your wives on. Wives, spur your husbands on. Spur our children on. Encourage each other to love, to do good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Have you met people that have given up meeting together? And what we need to believe is that in our life and in our walk is that we need to meet together. We need each other. We need each other. But encourage one another in all the more as you see the day approaching. I've watched it again and again. But you say, well, Jesus was with people. Of course he was with people. He was sinners and publicans and, and prostitutes. And yes, yes, he ministered. He was there. He was with them. But he didn't replace his faith community for just that. He did the both. He served others in the world, but he had his group. He had his entourage. He had his disciples. He had those he walked with, those he fellowshiped with, those he went forward together with. We need that. We need that in our hearts and our lives like never before. We need that. We need to believe. Because... um, Prayed for that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Oneness produces the strength of togetherness that we are pushing forward and believing that we can see those mighty Walls come tumbling down. That we can blow the trumpets together. That we can carry the ark together. That we can be committed that the gospel is the only answer for the world. And that Jesus is the greatest supernova event of all history. And he comes to rescue the sinner. He comes to bring hope into broken lives. He comes to minister to us. So don't be that isolated sheep. If you've got a difficult problem, that's why grief share is so amazing. That's why divorce care is so powerful. That's why many of the different activities and connections and group activities are so important because we build relationships together and we help each other get through the darkest times to win the battle. 
and we are willing to say yes. How can we achieve this then? Well, very simply, Acts chapter 2 talks about the power of the Holy Spirit. I think next weekend is Pentecost. And we see that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves. But the Holy Spirit had come and they'd given them that dynamism, that strength, that anointing. And we can't take out the presence of the Holy Spirit within our lives. We need that power and that strength. And we see they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Love this. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The presence of the Holy Spirit the desire to battle together, the desire to meet together, the desire to push in and to find the favor of the Lord. There's a, there's a joy, there's a power, there's a glorious sense within this scripture that reminds us, reminds us of the power of Christ, of the communion together, of us battling together and believing I really believe with all my heart that God has a destiny for our church and for every church in this city. A calling to touch the, touch the nations, to touch lives, to see God's power. But the enemy's strategy is always to make you feel alone. Because he's good at that. And to make you feel as if you have nothing to offer. And to make you feel that, that you are worthless. As if you have nothing. As if you, you can do it all on your own. And then he comes and devours and suddenly our faith is gone. And it's appropriate this morning as we take communion together. That we... We rejoice in the reality that we are one body in Christ Jesus. We are united. We're not uniformed. You see, I know in the church of God, we're not trying to make everybody clones and uniformed in every way, but we're united in the work of the cross and all that the cross does and the way that the cross works. And when you're united, we can blow the trumpet and we can see the walls come tumbling down. So let's pray together. Maybe at this moment you've, you've really sensed 
just that you are been doing this alone. Even if you're sort of here, you know that in your heart of hearts, there's an isolation and a loneliness. I, uh, I remember when I went for grief counseling. Uh, that week, my granddad died on the Monday, my mother died on the Wednesday. And I was present for both deaths. And I had to do some self-care as a man, a man in his 50s. And I went and had counseling and talked about this. And the counselor spoke a lot about when men get into their late 40s and into their 50s, mid-40s, late 40s, they experience an incredible sense of loneliness within their heart. And, and sometimes this is unexplainable and there's reasons for it. But the enemy can exploit that loneliness. The enemy can exploit that feeling inside what I discovered in the most remarkable way, that in the middle of that feeling of grief and loneliness, the presence of the Holy Spirit and the closeness of Christ came rushing in and brought a sense of great peace, great contentment. And in our loneliness, because there's something about human beings, that we live in community, but we can be, have a loneliness. That area of your heart that is a loneliness can only be filled with the glory of the eternal God. And as you take communion this morning, let him fill that loneliness and never believe the lie. Let him come close to you. Let him minister to you. Let him fill you this morning. Father, we want to thank you for Jesus on the cross. And we remember the body that was broken for us. That you gave your body for us. So that we may live. You hung upon that cross and we remember all that you did for us and we are so thankful. Remember, Lord, the way in which you poured out the cup and you said that this is my blood that takes away the sins of the world. And in all of our loneliness, we thank you that when we look at this bread and look at this wine, this juice, we are reminded that we are never alone because you traveled through the ultimate loneliness and darkness that we may never travel there. We thank you for that, Lord. And we are blessed by it. And may the emblems this morning minister to us as we remember how we are never alone and that we are part of a living body 
and how you are present and how you are at work and how you fill our lives, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Maybe this morning, before you take communion, as those present here, Christians, examine themselves and do confession and do a little personal time as they prepare themselves correctly for communion. Maybe you know that you're so away from God. But this morning, you want to come back to Christ. This morning, you want to give your whole life over to Him. This morning, you want to become a Christian, maybe. Is a prayer to pray if you want to reach out to God. Dear Lord Jesus, I give my whole life to you. As you gave yourself for me on the cross, I give myself to you. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I choose to make you Lord of my life. Change me, Lord, this morning. I choose to follow Christ. Amen.